Good morning. I tell you, there's not a place I'd rather be on this side of eternity than right here with all of you. Amen? Amen. It is good to be together. We're in week two of our series where we're exploring community life and, and what it looks like to, to live together as Christians. So last week we were in the book of Hebrews. This week we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and I would like for you all to turn there. We're going to read verses 42 through 47. For you, musical chairs is a fun game to play, especially when you're a kid, but I mean, even, even into adulthood, it's kind of a fun game to play. You decide how many people are playing, and you count them, and then you take that number minus one, and you set that many chairs up in a circle. Well, you start some music to play in, and everyone starts walking circles around the chairs, and when the music stops, the goal of the game is to not be left, not be the one left without a chair. You need to have your bottom in the chair, and so as the game begins, it's really kind of fun and pretty calm, and one person is eliminated at a time, but as the game progresses and there becomes fewer and fewer chairs and fewer and fewer players, it can get pretty like musical chairs. There's a lot of people, and they're competing for a pretty limited subset of resources. Um, maybe you have different views on that. It may be that there's plenty of resources and too many people have gathered a lot of chairs. I'm not quite sure what I think about this. We know this. As I look out, there's a lot of people that have and it pushes us towards love and good works. That's a, that's a state that we don't naturally settle to. And this week, we're going to continue our studying of community life and examine the context of, of sharing, how people with stuff live together. To do so, I want to begin with this passage that we're familiar with. We read it at the beginning of our uh, service. And I want to read it again, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. I want to zero in on verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Does that make you as uncomfortable as it makes me? I mean, that's a a difficult verse, I think, when we really slow down and, and read it like that. And, and as I was studying, I was asking myself, why? why? Why am I so inclined to just be on the same page were we to debate that? And we're certainly not here to debate that today, but I think the reality is that's kind of the world that we have grown up in. And as wealth disparities have become more prevalent, there's a lot of big questions that our society is asking and a lot of big questions that I believe um, Christians, we have laws in place to protect property and life, and we expect the government to uphold those laws. We also prioritize and we live for the things that we get to joy above and beyond subsistence. So we come up to a passage like this that kind of challenges the way that we think about our things. It is remarkably not the way we live in any shape, form, or fashion. So before you allow your mind to jump to all of the reasons that this doesn't apply to you, um, we'll, we'll do a little bit of that here in a second. 
I think we need to slow down and, and be fair. We need to look at the context and we need to look at really what we see and really what was happening here before we make judgments about how this applies to us. You see, here in Acts chapter 2, we're at the very beginning of the church getting rolling. Um, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 had set all the apostles down, all of the disciples, and he had told them, hey, that looked like at the very beginning stage. This wave through the water, and then instead of water skiing, like some of you may have grown up doing, people do this thing called surfing, and it's basically like being at the ocean but behind the boat. And so they stand on this board and they follow this wave behind the boat. Well, as I look at the picture of Acts and what's happening, what I really see is this wave is being generated at the very beginning. And the book of Acts shows us how this wave makes its way through the lake of humanity and how it picks up momentum and, and really what it looks like for God to harness this energy and turn it in. See this fourfold example, part of the fabric of early Christianity. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayers. As we press into and kind of follow this wave throughout the book of Acts, I want to kind of explore a few verses. We're just going to kind of jump through and see some of the things that we see. Later on in Acts chapter 4, this was still in Jerusalem. This was before, kind of still at the very beginning. We, um, we see a verse that tells us that this was not a fluke. Very much so, they acted this way um, there at the beginning. Acts 4, 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, the church seemed to exist like this for about able to interact with one another. In Acts 8.3, we read, But Saul, who would later be known as Paul, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, that's interesting because, you see, Paul, in order to persecute the Christians, went house by house house. So they were still gathering as this community in the places that they allowed. They were sharing these spaces with one another. And as we move through Acts, we actually find that there's not a lot of focus on what community life looks like. The main thrust, everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You say, well, that's interesting. Well, I bring, that, I bring that one up to point out this. There was kind of a, a changing of the situation. As the gospel spread and it was shared in Antioch, the, uh, the disciples in Antioch heard, man, that church back in Jerusalem where everything started is about to have a rough time. And what did they do? They said, well, let's gather together some stuff, some aid, some resources, and send it with the disciples back to them, with the apostles back to them these early Christians made it the habit of gathering together in homes and, and praying like they always have. And the gatherings that we see throughout Acts kind of start to shift back towards the synagogues as we move through the missionary journey. So the, as the wave expands, we see that they most typically, we find them preaching in the local synagogues. We see there was a place of prayer down by the river in Philippi where they met and converted a lady named Lydia. 
We see in Athens the gospel was shared in the Areopagus. In Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul started his message preaching in the synagogue, and when he was run out, he moved next door to the home of a believer, and from there he continued to preach. So we see that they used the spaces that were available. They used the public spaces to share the gospel. They shifted to private spaces when they needed. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. So Paul was a bivocational minister. On, when, on the weekends, he would preach in clue that they had some sort of formalized gatherings because on the first day of the week, it tells us that they gathered to break bread. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So, I mean, we don't know if uh, by this point they had reduced their gatherings from daily to weekly. It could be that this just happened to be one of the many occasions. What have we seen? I hope you are starting to develop this picture in your head of what the big picture of early Christianity looked like. As the gospel spread, believers continued to meet wherever, wherever was convenient, wherever stuff. I mean, the only time we see a reference made to their stuff is when needs arose. So at the beginning, there appeared to be those who had need. In Acts 2, 4, and 6, we see them distributing those goods according to the needs. They, in fact, as we wrap down the book of Acts in Acts 28, 30, we see that Paul lived in Rome for two years. And look what the text says, Acts 28, 30. He lived there two whole years. At his message, there appears to be no command for this behavior from the apostles that arose later on. The historical accounts are remarkably silent on their stuff and how they shared it, except under very specific circumstances. Now, we could look back to some of the teachings of Jesus, since Jesus, that Jesus had some strong words about stuff and things. So there was a rich young man that came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he had some pretty pointed words for him. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go and sell all the dispensable for the sake of discipleship. But he doesn't directly command that they liquidate all of their assets. We can make an argument for some level of, of, of example, at least, in what, and, and there's enough to go around, God said, and my people aren't going to have the poor among them. And then the blame, what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. Are there any principles that should guide us to follow this same? He was a tax collector. And we see when Zacchaeus repented, interactions with people, it caused him to rethink. So why share? If it wasn't the apostles' teachings that led them to this sharing behavior, what was it? It was the fellowship. It was the special bond that they shared with one another because of their belief. Now, it's pretty easy to look at the full context of Scripture and see that this was a unique circumstance for a unique time, that this was to live this way. You're not commanded to live this way either. In fact, you're specifically told that you should not rely on the benevolence of others as your primary on no one. In other words, he's saying, hey, we've had this conversation before. I've already told you this. You need to work. You need to work so that you have things to give so that you can contribute when there is a need. You need to pull your own weight. If you are an able body Christian, then you need to be out there generating revenue and unity and, and to build favor with the men around them. And I believe amongst a willing culture, which we're not always a part of, but when the culture is willing, the way that we interact with one another cultivates favor among them. It is a powerful piece of evidence that shows something supernatural is at work. I also believe that our relationships with one another 
are more important than our stuff. No one should be hungry or go without basic needs. That's a solid biblical principle. So in summary, we're called to work, to provide, to not rely on the benevolence of others for our sustenance. Biblically, we're all prepared. I wonder how firm of a hold our stuff has on us. Could we share if the need arised? Or if we were asked to give away our things, would we go away sad? More important than stuff, do we really believe that the king... But it's also wrong for someone among us to go without a basic need while others live lives of... Where we're not exactly sure what to do and how to think about it and the best way to move forward. And I think that we need to struggle to taking care of one another, to living in a way that the kingdom of God and the fellowship of believers is more important than any... The sharing of all things in common. That was the main driving principle of this fellowship. So that we're reminded we have to love. Our relationships are more important than our have what you need, then that is enough. It doesn't matter. And you shouldn't look at the things that you have if you're one with much and take any comfort or pride or sense of superiority for them because if you are called to give it to someone else, you need to be prepared to do that. Your stuff needs to be made available at the drop of a hat if needed. It's only temporary anyway. I don't know why we hold on so tight to it. Church stuff's just stuff. It things in common. So despite whether you're looking up the pay scale or down the pay scale, what we should see is not possessions but fellow believers whom we have all things in common with. This is a community where we don't play musical chairs. We don't cultivate a false sense of scarcity. Unity life is powerful. We can live with confidence. We can live with, with confidence because, because we know that the the storms of life that affect us so much, we can get through because we have a community of people who have our back, a community of people who are going to watch out for us. We can receive and share as the less stuff than someone else. And you're always noticing. I think that's just as big of a problem because that means someone else's stuff has a hold on you and you need to be satisfied in Christ. We can help redirect your heart to things that matter. And finally, if you genuinely don't have the stuff that you need, materialism, even here in the church, but we're working hard to follow this model and to glorify God in this way, to live in a way that is different. You may have noticed at the end of our passage, Acts 2.47, what it said. It said, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added. We don't get to decide who is part of this community. God does, and he has provided access through Christ, instruction through his scripture, and community through his church. The biblical pattern is clear. In Acts 2.38, when they...